Well, as I mentioned off the top this morning, we're starting uh, not really a series. It's sort of a one-off that will form into series over the next few uh, quarters or so. And I don't know about you, but again, for me, these last few months, a lot of things have gone upside down. I mean, for good reason, of course. I don't think that any of us have lived through such a global event like this COVID-19 has become in 2020. To call it a disruption doesn't seem like strong enough language. And to call what we're dealing with now as kids are back in school or heading back to school soon, to, to call this a new normal, I think kind of negates what this is because this is not normal. These past months have exposed, I think, a lot of things in, in our, maybe in our hearts, definitely in our Western culture, they've exposed uh, because we don't have the ability to gather like we used to. We've been restricted. We, we are maybe realizing that we are, we are not as self-sufficient. We are not as autonomous as individuals as we thought. We need and we crave human community and interaction. I think our, our feelings or our confidence or may I even say our idols of being in control have been shaken and shattered. Things we, we thought that would never change or erode. Some of these firm foundations we have based our life on for you know, decades have forever changed. And I hope that in the midst of all the uncertainty, all the change, all the chaos, that we've had some time to reflect on, on why we're feeling the way we do, why we're feeling exposed, why our, our confidence is shaken, and what we should do about it. And I say that realizing that for, for many of us, some of the recent days or weeks or even months, the, the goal has simply been to keep our heads above water. Here at Trinity, for the past number of months, we've looked at the Bible and we've seen how the Bible itself is a firm foundation that we can build our lives on. That even in the midst of a global pandemic, we can look to the timeless truths, the, the absolute truths of the Bible and build our lives on them. We can look to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, and see how he lived the best, most full, and most flourishing life, which might be odd to say about someone who was crucified at age 33. But the way he lived shows us what it means to truly be human. And so what we want to do is we want to take some time to study the rhythms of Jesus' life. See, to, to be a Christian means that we are, we are disciples or we are apprentices of Jesus. We, we look to him, we desire to be with him, we desire to be like him, we desire to, to do what he did. Now, to be clear, you and I don't do these things because it's just the good religious thing to do. We don't want to become legalists who just check off all the boxes of religious activities. But as followers of Jesus, we want to do just that. We want to follow him. We want to emulate his life. We want to, to be with him because we realize that it's the best thing for us and for each one of our lives. See, we believe, and, and the Gospels, in the Gospels, Jesus show us uh, what it means to really be human. And so we, as, as his apprentices, as his followers, are to model that, the life Jesus did, so that we too can become fully human, all we are created to be. Again, part of being a Christian is to believe that Jesus is the best version of a human. He was, was not only fully God, but he became fully human, one that took on flesh and, and moved into the neighborhood, as the beginning of John's gospel says, and we're going to dive into that text next week. 
He came to, to live the life that related well with God and others in creation, the life that, that you and I have, have failed to live. And then he, he died the death that our sin and rebellion uh, and our consequences deserved. And he went to the grave and was buried in the grave with that sin. And then he rose again three days later, conquering Satan's sin and death so that you and I might be given the power of the Holy Spirit that enabled Jesus to do everything he did. And now Jesus has ascended to heaven where he's sitting at the right hand of the Father where he, he represents each one of us who have put our faith in him. And he was continually praying for us and interceding for us. And one day Jesus will return to make all things new. And he did all that so that we could see what it means to be a fully flourishing human. He died because we don't live that way and he rose again so that we can live that way. That's what it means to be a Christian. Now again, you and I aren't Christians because our parents were. We're not Christians because we show up at a building on Sunday or we log in online on Sunday or during the week if maybe we slept in on Sunday. Or we're not Christians because we read our Bibles regularly or hold some you know, typically conservative beliefs. But a Christian is someone whose faith is in Jesus to have lived that perfect life for us. And now by faith in Jesus, his work for us has given us the Holy Spirit so that we have the ability to live a new life. And so when we say that we're disciples, when we say that we're apprentices of Jesus, or as our mission statement here at Trinity says that we exist to become fully devoted followers of Jesus, we are describing something and we are calling people to something to a flourishing life, to an abundant, full life. I was challenged recently by a podcast I was listening to when the speaker said, listen, you can tell how effective your apprenticeship to Jesus is by how much your daily responses to life circumstances looked like how Jesus would respond. Let me say that again. As disciples, as followers, as apprentices of Jesus, you can tell how effective your apprenticeship to Jesus is by how much your daily responses to life's circumstances looked like how Jesus would have responded. Now, I don't know about you, but some days I see some progress towards that. Other days I've fallen off the cliff and I'm at the bottom starting over again. If you've been tracking with us, you know that we've just come out of a series in the book of James, and, and maybe you're hoping that now that we're done with James and all he calls us to, this really high bar that he calls us to, maybe the next place we go wouldn't be quite so hard. But sorry, here's where we are. And so let's continue using the language of progress, not perfection as well. We are aiming for progress towards this life that looks like Jesus. G.K. Chesterton said this, the Christian ideal has not been tried and found wanting, but it has been found difficult and left untried. And I would suspect for a lot of us that, that this might be true. This looks impossible. This standard that James spent five chapters talking about, this call that Jesus takes us to, the, you know, we've read maybe the Sermon on the Mount, we've seen the Gospels, we've seen how Jesus lived, this, forget it, this is impossible. How are we supposed to live like Jesus? See, here's the thing that, that, that many people, or maybe even most people, uh, maybe you can identify with this as well. We like to only do things we know we can succeed at. I don't know, can, can you identify with that? If I know I'm going to fail at something, I probably am not going to try. We don't like failing, do we? I don't think, like, 
It may seem shallow. You guys, even at your age, probably don't like doing things you know you can't do well, right? Forget it. I want to do something I'm good at. And I don't think that leaves us until we get to, you know, the last days of our lives. Most of us, we don't like to fail. So when things get hard, we move on. And lots of us maybe look at Christianity this way. I think we've got deep in us somewhere this, this fear of failure, so we try to avoid things. Because if we never fail, we must be a success, right? And, and, and being a success strokes my ego a lot more than failure does. I think G.K. Chesterton here is right. Living the life Jesus calls us to is unbelievably difficult. In fact, the Bible tells us it is impossible to do under our own strength. We, we need Jesus to help us live like Jesus. And so that's why in, in this season, starting this quarter, and then you know, beginning of December, we're going to take a different habit or practice of Jesus. And we want to, to work on these spiritual disciplines, these practices, these habits, whatever language you'd like to use around them, so that every single person in the room, online, wherever you're joining us from, uh, can grow in these practices and rhythms and grow in our ability to be with Jesus. And here's the thing, I, I bet it doesn't matter if you've been following Jesus for 80 years or 80 seconds, every single one of us in the room and online hopefully has the desire to grow in these things, to grow in our, our being with Jesus. And here's the thing, because it's impossible to sort of maneuver ourselves into this, we, we have to be with Jesus in order to be like Jesus. There's no other way. In order for us to have the most full, abundant life possible, we have to be with Jesus. And so this may sound a little bit circular, but in order to be with Jesus, we have to do the things Jesus did. And then when we do the things Jesus did, we start to be with Jesus more. In other words, we have to do some of the spiritual practices that Jesus did. And that's, and that's, that's the, the goal, goal of the spiritual practice. That's the that's goal of these disciplines. They're not an end in ourselves so that we can, again, check off the list and say, well, I read my Bible. I was quiet today. That's good. We're on our way. But all these things, they are a means to get to be with Jesus. Let me also suggest that, that not walking in these practices, not walking in these spiritual disciplines, it's not just that you're missing out on something, that your, your life might be better if you added a little more Jesus to it, which may be true. But if you're not doing this, let me suggest that it's actually destructive to your soul and to your body as well. And we can explore that idea a little bit more, but so much research and so many studies regularly keep coming back to saying the more we move away from God, the more we move to this idea that we are, we are self-made people, we are autonomous beings, the more things like anxiety and fear and despair creep up in our culture and in our lives. And further, so many of the best and latest research on how we should deal with anxiety and despair and fear discovers that to overcome fear and anxiety and despair, we need to start adding some practices and rhythms in our lives that are described in the Bible, ultimately, and have been part of the church since its inception. You need to, you need to quiet yourself. Well, that's what we're talking about. I, I love when, when science catches up to theology and the Bible. Dallas Willard, kind of similar to G.K. Chesterton, sort of a response but not a direct response, he says this, to depart from righteousness, that it means like to, to walk away from the life God has called us to. He says to depart from righteousness is to choose a life of crushing burdens, failures, and disappointments, a life caught in the toils of endless problems that are never resolved. 
And here is the, the source of that unending soap opera, that sometimes, that sometimes horror show known as normal human life. The cost of discipleship, though it may take everything we have, is small when compared to the lot of those who don't accept Christ's invitation to be a part of his company in the way of life. What he's saying is to choose not to follow Jesus and not to walk in his ways is one of the most foolish decisions that you and I could make because we're fundamentally saying, I'm going to walk in the opposite way of a flourishing life. And so maybe that's the call for us today is to, to stop running, to come home, to come back to Jesus maybe for the first time so that you can be made whole, so you can find healing from your emotional wounds. You can find rest. You might find meaning and purpose and identity and that flourishing life that he promises. Maybe this is the call that you can be reminded again or maybe you can meet for the first time a God who loves you and you can experience that love and grace and mercy. Maybe today is, is your day to start walking towards the one who really loves you and wants to be with you and can change everything inside of you and through you. See, Jesus didn't just come to rescue us from the consequences of our sin, though he absolutely did. And he didn't just come to bring us forgiveness, though he absolutely did come for that. But Jesus came to reveal to us how life was meant to be lived. He came to overcome everything that keeps us from living that real full life. And then he died and rose again to prove to you and me that he has the power to lead us into that. And so we need to keep that view in mind, that Jesus came as our example when we start to study the Gospels, when we start to read the biographies of Jesus. And next week, again, we're going to start a series called Come and See, looking at the Gospel of John. And I, I hope that we will see Jesus uh, through his biography, uh, through that lens of this is the way to a true and flourishing life. Uh, one author says, listen, we, when we want to be uh, like a, a great skier or football player or business person or entrepreneur, we read their biographies. Okay, Steve Jobs did this, so I'm going to eat like he did. I'm going to dress like he did. I'm going to set the rhythms of my day like he did so that maybe I can become like him. But do we read the biographies of Jesus the same way? I want to live like Jesus. I want to order my days like Jesus. I want to do these things. And so that's, that's the hope of studying these practices over the next several quarters, is that each of us will be able to, to take and, and uh, apply some of these rhythms of Jesus. And we'll be able to look back at the end of a quarter, thinking about silence and solitude, and say, oh man, that was good. I experienced his rest. I experienced his presence in a way that I haven't before, and I never want to go back to that, to the way I was. And so the starting place for looking at these rhythms, these practices, is the practice of silence and solitude. This is one of the key practices of Jesus. We see him doing it all the time throughout the Gospels. Many who write about this topic would say that, that silence and solitude is the container in which all the other practices thrive. This is the one that has to come first, and then all the others sort of flow out of this. Because if we, if we can't be quiet with God, then all the other practices can actually just become religion and actually drive us away from God. They can become ends in and of themselves. See, if we can't be quiet with God, then our prayer life can lead us actually away from God. It can lead us to just talk at God. If we can't be quiet with the Lord, our Bible reading can lead us to just gain more head knowledge, which then maybe we beat other people with instead of lovingly apply with people. 
If we can't be quiet with God, then, then taking a Sabbath can just be a great religious practice. We don't, we don't do work that day maybe, but if we don't know how to rest with God and delight in him in the quiet, then we're missing the point of Sabbath. And so we need to start here so that we can engage in all these other practices in the months to come. And I can almost hear lots of you thinking through the camera, in the room even, come on, Sean, you don't, you don't know my life. It's crazy. There's no silence. There's no time for solitude. I get it. I'm with you. But stay with me. If you've got a Bible in front of you or on your phone or wherever or online, you can open up to Matthew chapter 4, and we're going to start to see how this works out in Jesus' life. If you, if you know this biography of Jesus, how, how Matthew has laid this out, you know that chapter 4, where we're going to read here right away, comes right after Jesus was baptized by John. And when he, when he comes up out of the water, we read that the Spirit of God descended on him like a dove, and the Father says, the voice of God the Father was heard saying, Behold my Son, the one that I love, the one that I'm pleased with. And then we read this in Matthew chapter 4. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit. God led him into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After 40 days of fasting and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. This word here for wilderness can mean a, a desert, it can mean a lonely place, it can mean a, a place of solitude. Think, if you're in the Bow Valley, think Jesus went into the back country to camp for 40 days. Now, I've always read this, I don't know about you, but I've always read this place, this passage, and thought, that sneaky devil. He waited, Jesus must have been starving. I mean, 40 days, come on. But one of the suggested readings for this series is Dallas Willard's Spirit of the Disciplines. And in there, he actually suggests that after 40 days, Jesus would have been at his strongest. Because think about it. He just, he just spent 40 days alone in the presence of God. And what was, the, what was the last thing he heard before he went to be in the presence of God? You are my son. I am pleased with you. I love you. And that's what he would have had ringing through his ears for 40 days. He wouldn't have just sat in the, in the back country reading his Bible for 40 days. He would have been, had these words, I am loved, I am accepted, I am the Son of God, I have everything I need because my Father loves me. He's pleased with me. I haven't done anything yet, but he's pleased with me. And so when the tempter comes against Jesus at this moment, he doesn't have a chance. 40 days of dwelling on, I am the Son of God. God is pleased with me. To hear, if you are the Son of God, come on. And don't miss this either. When Jesus went up in this, this passage, Jesus went up, he was about to launch into his public ministry. And so when he started ministry, he didn't come up with a detailed ministry plan. He didn't build strategic partnerships. He didn't make sure he had fundraising in place. And he got away and he spent time with God. See, you and I, we need this. We need time away with God. We need Jesus leading us as the Spirit was leading him as our example. He shows us that our source, our hope is God. And so you and I need this because you and I are daily going into places, whether it's work or school or, or anywhere, where we are being attacked in the same way. Did Jesus really say this? If you are a follower of Jesus, wouldn't this show up in your life? 
We are walking into a spiritual war that is taking place all around us. And if we think that, that we don't need time to be in the presence of God in order to stand up in that battle, we are actually saying we are better than Jesus because he needed time. And so do we. We need to, to, to start our days or, or find time wherever we can to be regularly reminded that our identity doesn't come from what we've done or what we're going to accomplish in that day. Our identity comes because we, the Bible tells us, we are sons and daughters of the King. Ruth Haley Barton says, the longing for solitude is also the longing to find ourselves. It's the longing to be in touch with what is most real within us, that is more solid and more enduring than what defines us externally. This is the, the soul of us, the place at the very center of our being that is known by God, that is grounded in God, that is one with God. See, here's the truth. Again, maybe you can identify with this. We are so prone to finding our identity and our meaning in anything other than who we are in Christ. Our behavior, our career, our skills, our abilities, our finances, our, our whatever. And we can then turn and do this with our spiritual practices as well. Well, you know what? God must be proud of me because I got up early and read the Bible this morning. God's so lucky to have me on his team because I wrote a check to the church this month. But God isn't pleased with us because of what we've done. He's pleased with us because he made us. And he loves us as his children. And just like we talked about so much through the book of James, we don't do things to get God. We do these things because we have God and we want to be with him. We want to be in his presence. I love how Jeff Vanderstel, a pastor in, in Seattle, puts it. He says, the, the indicatives, what's true about you no matter what you do, always lead us to the imperatives, the, the, the what you do because of what is true. The things we do, we do them because of what's true about us. We don't do things to get God. We do things because we have God. Because God says, I am pleased with you, we say, I want to live a pleasing life. In the gospel, the, the good news of Jesus is that he loved us while we were still far from him. Not because we worked hard to make ourselves lovable. And so this is the, the beauty of starting here with silence and solitude is that in a way it's actually affirming the gospel. It's a way of us saying, listen, everything good comes from God anyway, so I'm just going to shut up and listen for a while. I'm going I'm to stop doing and remember that it's God that gives me our identity, not my grades in school, not my salary, not my creations at work, not my family, not my friends, not my social media status or any other number of things. We stop and we be quiet and let God remind us of our identity. And just to be really clear, you and I, we are not at our best, our strongest, or our most prepared if we are not regularly engaging in this practice. We are actually weak and vulnerable, and chances are we are questioning our identity. And that can lead us to make some really dangerous choices to try and secure an identity apart from who God says we are. Well, I've got this house then I can be loved, I can be important. If I've got this job, this whatever. See, if we find our identity in any other things, what happens if we lose them? If we find our identity in our jobs, what happens when we get laid off or retire? If we find our identity in our portfolios, what happens when the market crashes again? If we find our identity in our peers, what happens when they betray us? 
we want to be like Jesus, we need to follow his example in this. Look what happens next in his life. Everywhere he goes, he's got all these opportunities to preach and do good things, and he's healing people, and he's, he's casting out demons. And then in, in Luke chapter 5, you can flip there with me as well. Verse 15, Luke starts to, to teach us this. He says, but now even more the report about him went abroad, and great crowds gathered to hear him, to be healed of their infirmities. By all kind of modern standards, Jesus was a successful church planter. People were coming all over the place. But he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. Another translation says, Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Again, if this is something Jesus did regularly, he did often, then we need to as well. He went to prepare himself. He went to refresh himself. See, when we read the Gospels, we actually see that the busier Jesus got, the more he got away. And that's kind of the opposite of, I think, the way most of us approach this. is that My life is crazy. I don't have time for that. And I can tell you, I, I, I'm not great at this, but the days, without a doubt, when I groggily get up, saunter my way down to the living room, find myself in the quiet and just sit for a minute, maybe open up the Bible and read it a little bit in the quiet, which is a, a future rhythm we'll look at, that day is going to go way better than the one where I wake up, head straight to the kitchen, pick up my phone to check out whatever garbage, Facebook, which is ultimately garbage, right? Or even just get to the kitchen to get into my tasks for the day of, of making breakfast for the kids, lunches for the kids, whatever else. It doesn't go as well that way. We, we need this. We need to make this a priority. And I'm not talking about a long time. I'm not saying we have to get up at 4 o'clock in the morning so we have two hours before the kids wake up or whatever else. Even just a few minutes in the quiet asking God, hey, what do you want to say to me this morning? What, what are you up to today, God? Can you, I'm not, I'm not so sure. Jesus, can you remind me who I am this morning? Can you just, just quiet my soul before I get into the noise of the week? And then listening and allowing Jesus to speak to you through his spirit, through his word. That will change the trajectory of your day, I promise. See, the busier Jesus got, the more he got away, the more time he made, and none of us are busier than Jesus. So, trying to get real practical, where can we find this time? What if even you, you, you turn the radio off in the car? Not locally, not many of us have super long commutes around town. It's not a long way to really get anywhere. But what, what if you drove in the quiet instead of just the background noise? What if we, we drink that morning coffee with, without our phones or a newspaper or tablets or whatever in our hands? And we're just quiet. Do you, do you think that would make a difference? It might even mean uh, locking ourselves in a bathroom so that the kids can't rattle. We'll probably still rattle the handle. Come on, I'm hungry. Do you think that would make a difference? What if, what if we could just find a way to carve a few minutes out at the start, the finish of the day to make this happen and just learn and practice to be still in the presence of the Lord? See, I, I think if, if we're conscious of this, we can snatch and redeem little bits of time to just simply sit and be quiet and ask the Lord to meet us there, anywhere. And ask him to remind us about what he says of us, about where our identities come from and, and that we are his kids regardless of what we've done or failed to do. One of the, uh, my least favorite, I will say, uh, additions to the Apple ecosystem on phones and iPads is you can actually turn on a screen time calculator. 
and it can alert you at the end of the day or the week of just how much you've been on your device. If that doesn't tell you you can find, for me, if that doesn't tell me that I can find time to be quiet and alone with God, I'm not sure what else will. What would it look like if we tried to do this every single day? And we're going we're gonna to put some resources on our website and on Facebook of, of how to help us along this journey and how to, to get together and ask one another questions, even of, hey, how's, how's your quiet time going? Are, are you finding time? How can we encourage one another? But let me encourage you to, to start today, to find some time today, and, and even keep a pen and paper handy to, to write down the things you hear Jesus say. Kids, you can do this too. I know you can write. I'm, I'm, I'm positive of it. Kid writing is okay. And just take a minute to ask Jesus if there's anything he wants to tell you. And then, as appropriate, share those things with other people. Say, hey, listen, this is the way Jesus encouraged me this week. Imagine how our lives would change if we did this. Imagine how our valley would change if we did this and invited others into it as well. See, where we, where we give God space, he will meet with us and he will change us and transform us from the inside out. There's, there's one last place I want to look in the Gospels as we sort of head towards a close in Mark chapter 6, so you can, can flip there too. And this is, this is when the apostles, which means sent ones, so in this sense, kind of, we're all apostles, we're all sent ones, we're all messengers of Jesus, and, and they came back to Jesus. He had sent them out and said, hey, okay, you guys go out in pairs and do the things you've seen me do. Go preach, go heal, go tell people the kingdom is coming. And they come back and they start telling Jesus all the things they saw. Look at Mark 6, starting at verse 30. The apostles returned to Jesus and told them all they had done and taught. And he said to them, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest for a while. For many were coming and going, and, and they didn't even have time to eat. Now, these guys were probably just jacked about all they'd seen happen. I mean, it's one thing if Jesus does it, but now we're doing these things too. And they would have been just pumped about all that they had done and taught. But notice what Jesus doesn't say. He doesn't say, yes, boys, let's go out and do it again. He says, let's go to a quiet, solitary desolate place so that we can rest a while, we can enjoy the presence of the Lord for a while. He doesn't rush them or us to the next thing, but he says, no, let's go rest for a while. And look what happens, though, verse 32. They went away in a boat to a desolate place by themselves. Now many saw them going and recognized them, and they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When Jesus went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. Now I suspect maybe the disciples were hoping that they'd get some quiet time. That, that, that Jesus had promised, let's go and spend some time together in the presence of the Lord. And they show up and there's a crowd. And Jesus knows that this crowd needs the gospel, they need the kingdom. So even though they all want rest, he teaches. This is where it hits real life. Right? Have you ever tried, you ever tried to, to, to spend time alone and think, if I get up just 15 minutes earlier, my, my kids get up at 7, so if I'm even like 6.45, that's great. And that day, the kids come down at 6.40. Daddy, breakfast! Right? Or maybe you think you can sneak away to a park or a coffee shop. It's like, I just, I just got to carve out a little bit of time here, and you show up there, and, and everyone you know is filling the park. Everyone you know is at the coffee shop. Listen, we, we all run into this. We're trying to do this, this good thing. We're trying to find silence and solitude to spend time alone and we get interrupted. And so this is going to take practice and it's going to take effort. And if I'm, I'm really honest, I have a hard time doing this to find space in the middle or the end of the day. It just like there's too many other things going on in my head. And I can't seem to unload them to, to be quiet long enough. 
But if it's the morning, if I can somehow get some time before I, I look at the phone or start thinking about work, then, then, it, then it works, it fits. See, sometimes we have to create some rhythms. We have to actually train our brains to get into this place, to, to have this time. Listen, when I, when I get to this chair in this spot in the house, that's, that's where I meet God. And it's not nothing, anything special about that chair, but it's just reminding us, okay, breathe deep here and enjoy the presence of the Lord. If I, when I hop on my bike and mindlessly pedal down this flat, straight, not crashable uh, path, paved path, smooth bike path somewhere, then I can tune out the noise and I can just listen to the Lord. Maybe when you find that spot, you just need to have a notepad or a paper nearby that you can empty your brain of all the other things into that I'll deal with it later list and be quiet. Each one of us is going to have to find out what works for us in each different season. And don't get religiously tied to one place. This is my Jesus chair. Don't sit in it any other time. But if we don't do this, our souls will actually wither because they're not plugged into the one that brings us life. If we keep reading those verses in Mark 6, we see that Jesus teaches and then, then he serves the crowd. We see the miracle of him feeding the 5,000 and then look down at verse 45. Mark says, immediately he got his disciples back in the boat to go across the other side while he dismissed the crowd. The crowd wanted to be with Jesus. They didn't really want to be with the disciples. They wanted to be with Jesus. And after he had dismissed them, he'd taken leave of them. He went up on a mountain to pray. He made his time. He was, he was ready for this time before he showed up with the crowd. And then he, he taught them, he fed them, he dismissed them. It probably would have taken a while. It sounds like a big crowd, but he made time. This was a priority for Jesus, and so it should be for us too. So just quickly, as we come towards a close, a bit of a summary. Silence and solitude is an intentional time of quiet, alone with yourself and with God. A couple of just, again, quick things about silence. There are, there are both external noises and internal noises that we need to quiet. We've got we to turn off our phone. We've got to get the phone out of the room. There are studies that show that your phone in the same room with you might as well be next to you pinging because you're thinking, okay, what's, what's happening? We have to turn off all the other noise. I, I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm a guy that for so long needed background noise, whether it was a, you know, a movie playing somewhere else or just music on my phone or something. I needed, needed background noise, but so often we use that background noise to, to drown out or to dull everything else, our own thoughts, ourselves. See, it can actually be kind of scary to be left in the quiet with your own thoughts. But remember, this, this solitude doesn't mean you're alone. It means you're alone with Jesus. And then in that quiet, we... we posture ourselves to listen to the voice and the prompting of the Lord. And again, when, when these things come up, like, why am I, why am I scared of, of not having the background? Why am I scared of being alone? We can ask Jesus, what, what's going on here? What is it in my heart that, that, that needs chaos around me or whatever? Or when the moments come up where, where we feel like, I was truly alone here by myself, we can ask Jesus, where were you in this? When the hurts come, say, Jesus, I feel betrayed by you here, honestly. Where were you in this moment? Why did I feel so alone? And then just let him speak to that. The goal for us is, is to simply be quiet and, and rest in the quiet and be rejuvenated. This will actually help us and, and free us from an addiction to noise, an addiction to activity. One of the, the downsides, I think, to the cell phone and especially the smartphone is, is we can be on all the time. There's always something going on. What are we talking in this group here? I got this chat going. I can work on this part here. And 
You need to be freed from that addiction to noise and activity. There's a time not so long ago where I couldn't get into the car without the first thing I did before I started the car even was to plug in a phone or turn on the radio or turn on a podcast or something to have noise in the car. Couldn't do it. But I'm slowly learning that, you know what, quiet drives are pretty nice, even if they're not that long. See, again, when we stop and are quiet, we are acknowledging that God is in control, that, that all my actions, all my activity... That's not what makes me good. That's not what makes me pleasing to the Lord or better or worthy. But the silence and solitude and stopping is a really tangible way of us saying to Jesus, I believe in the gospel. I believe it's your work that makes me whole. It's your work that brings me forgiveness and mercy and rest. We've gone a little bit long here, so so let me pray for us. If you've got questions about this, of course, you can drop them in the comments on the video online or send me an email or a text, or I'd love to chat with you after if you're here in the room. Let me, let me pray. Jesus, thank you for this time that we've had together this morning. Thank you that you came to this earth and became human like us and, and showed us how to live in a way that's, that's truly human. And I would pray that you'd give us the courage and the discipline to sit down each day and simply be silent and hear what you have to say about us. Maybe you're here in the room today or turning in online and and watching this and you're not totally sure where you stand with God, but you're getting the sense that there's just too much noise in your life. Maybe you've tried to keep everything under control and realizing more and more that you just can't do it. I want to invite you to turn that over to Jesus, maybe for the first time, maybe for the hundredth time. Remember where we started at the beginning of our service was Jesus' invitation to rest in him. You don't need to have all the answers, but you can bring those questions to Jesus. And who, who was Jesus? He was the Son of God, perfect in every way, who, who walked this world to show us how to have a right relationship with God and creation and one another. He was perfectly obedient to God in every way, even to the point of death on the cross as our perfect sacrifice. And he rose from the dead three days later, conquering Satan, sin, and death in our place. Why did he do this? So that anyone who calls on his name would be saved, forgiven, and transformed doesn't matter who you are or what you've done, no matter how dark and busy and anxious your life feels right now, when you call on Jesus' name, he hears your prayer, he forgives you, and he can make you new. If today is your day to commit to Jesus and you're on our church online page, you can hit that little raise hand button that should appear right away and let us know and reach out and we can celebrate with you. If you're watching on Facebook or YouTube, you can go to trinitycamor.com slash commit and just drop us a note and say, listen, today was my day so that we can connect with you. And let's, let's pray, continue to pray together. Lord Jesus, forgive me of my sins. Change me and make me new. Help me to, to follow you. Jesus, be my Savior, the Lord of my life. Fill me with your Spirit so that I can serve you, so that I can follow you, so that I can make you known, so that I can live in your rest. My life is not my own. I give it to you, Jesus. Thank you for new life. Now you have mine. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.